Well, good morning. My name is Doug McHenry. I'm the lead pastor here at First Covenant. We're glad you're with us to celebrate the risen Lord. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. I'm going to begin my uh, Easter message with a couple uh, Easter puns. All right. Uh, first one kids will get, I think. What kind of music do bunnies like? Next slide. Hip hop. All right. Okay. This next one uh, is one that Pastor West, our tall, follically challenged gentleman, will really appreciate. What do you call ten rabbits marching backwards? Next slide. A receding hairline. All right. Thank you for taking one for the team, Wes. I appreciate it. So, you know, uh, on a lot of Easter sermons, there's a variety of approaches you can take. Of course, the central theme is Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He's alive. He's with us through his spirit even now. And sometimes with a sermon, uh, you can take the approach of, of the, apolo- the apologetics, the evidence, the historical evidence for the resurrection, reasons to believe. I've done that before. This morning, we're not going to do that. If you have questions about that, please get a hold of me. I'd be, I would love to talk to you about some very solid, solid reasons, uh, overwhelming reasons that we can believe in the resurrection of Christ. But instead, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the difference an Easter can make in our attitude. Okay? Now, attitude is something that um, in our kids, it can take one of two ways. Sometimes we discourage attitudes in our children, like, don't take that attitude with me, young man. We discourage that kind of attitude. There are other times, though, when we will encourage attitude. Uh, Perhaps they have a big game or a big test, um, a big challenge in their lives. And we say, you can do this. Have a good attitude. Have a positive attitude. Believe in yourself. Have, Have some faith in yourself. That's the kind of attitude that can lead to success in life. Well, this Easter morning, I want to encourage you to take on the kind of attitude that Jesus is encouraging us to adopt in John 16:33. Let me read that again, where Jesus says these words, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, the context here is that it's, it's the night before Good Friday. It's the night before Jesus goes to the cross and dies for our sins. He's with the disciples, and he's trying to encourage them, to prepare them for the time when he won't be with them. And, um, and he knows that on Friday afternoon, by the middle of the day, he'll be, he'll be dead. And this, the, the attitude the disciples will have at that time is one of discouragement and, and defeat and despair. No hope. That attitude will continue through Saturday. They don't know this, but Jesus knows that Easter Sunday morning is coming. And when it does come, there'll need to be an attitude adjustment. So what is an attitude of Easter? Well, let's start with an attitude. An attitude is sort of an inward disposition, an inward response that we have to the things that happen to us in our world and to our lives. You can have a good attitude, a positive attitude, a negative attitude, or so on and so forth. So an Easter attitude is how we respond to the circumstances of our lives and of our world in light of, in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that kind of attitude is comprised of a number of things. There's certainly joy. There should be joy. There's also peace. We see this in John 16. Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. There's also courage. He says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. In other words, be strong, be courageous, don't be discouraged. 
So Easter attitude is exhibiting peace and courage, even joy, in the situations and circumstances that we encounter in life. Don't we need that? Don't we need that in our world? Peace and courage and joy. Jesus said, I've overcome the world. But it doesn't always feel that way, does it? You look around the world, and sometimes it seems like the world is overcoming us. I mean, all you have to do is look at the daily headlines, right? A few days ago, there was the anniversary of the Columbine school shootings. Horrible, tragic event. Just a couple of days ago, the anniversary of the Oklahoma City bombings. Hundreds of people killed. Tragic events. Just this morning, if you, if you saw the headlines, over in Sri Lanka, on the other side of the world, in the Indian Ocean, over 200 plus people and counting were killed in bombings. Most of the bombings were centered on churches filled with Christians who were celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In this world, Jesus said, you will have trouble. And we nod our heads in agreement as we look around the world. Now, we don't have to look very far. We don't have to go back to the past. We don't have to uh, look on the other side of the world. We see it close by. Uh, A family member or a friend gets a grim diagnosis, the dreaded C word, cancer. Their life ends sooner than it should. A neighbor or co-worker is injured in an accident. They're paralyzed or disabled. Their life is never going to be the same. Somebody succumbs to addiction. A child suffers abuse on and on. In this world, you will have trouble, Jesus said. That's easy to see. So how do we have an an Easter attitude in the midst of all that? And where does that sort of attitude come from? The only place, the only person it comes from is from Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can truly say, I have overcome the world. Muhammad can't say that. Buddha can't say that. Only Jesus Christ can because he's defeated Satan and sin and death on the cross and through the empty tomb. Leith Anderson is a pastor in, uh, in the Minneapolis area. And um, he, he shares a, a story that he began an Easter sermon with a few years back. He said several friends were sitting in a restaurant and they were discussing life. And the topic turned to their own mortality the subject of dying. And they asked each other, what would the things be that you would want to have said about you at your own funeral? Kind of a cheery thought. And the first one said, well, I would like people to talk about my career successes and the difference I made for people in this world. The second one said, I'd like to somebody to say what a great husband and father was I was and how much I love my family and how much they loved me. Our great relationships. The third one said, well, I would like somebody to point at my body and say, hey, look, his body just moved. Wouldn't, you, wouldn't that be nice? That would be kind of nice. That's what we would like, you know, life after death, not really dead. Well, in a nutshell, that's the story of Easter. Only Jesus Christ, it wasn't just a spasm or a twitch. He got up and walked out of the tomb, appeared to hundreds of people, risen from the dead. And because he did, we can have an Easter attitude. We can face whatever comes our way in life because Jesus Christ is alive. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 15. Death has been swallowed up in victory. 
Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So how do I live in freedom from the fear of death? How do I live in the midst of all the stuff in the world and in my life? How do I live in the midst of troubles with confidence and peace and courage, even joy? Paul tells us God gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. Here's what the Apostle John says in another part of the Bible. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith, faith, belief. Think about it. What we believe inevitably will determine our attitude in life. What we believe inevitably determines how we respond to the difficulties in our lives and in our worlds. And the Bible goes on to say, who is it that overcomes the world? Only he, only she, who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That's the core. We need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, born of a virgin, lived a perfect and sinless life, gave his life for us on the cross, and defeated Satan's sin on death by coming back from the dead. So let me ask you this. Do you believe that? Romans 10.9 says, when we confess with our mouth, when we declare with our mouth that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, and we believe it in our hearts, it says we're saved. And that means we can have an Easter attitude. We can have peace and exhibit courage no matter what happens in our life or what we see in this world. We can take heart. Listen to this letter from a woman who understands this, who has a little bit of an attitude, a little bit of an Easter attitude. She writes, Two weeks from the day I had my first infusion of chemo, my hair fell out. I had been warned, of course, but secretly I cherished the hope that my thick locks would defy the statistics, clinging to my scalp despite the red stuff dripping in my veins. A volunteer barber at the hospital suggested that if I shampooed less often and used a wide-tooth comb, I could keep my hair. I tried both. But when I began shedding like a shaggy dog all over my pajamas, pillows, and bathroom floor, I recognized the inevitable. And I called a friend from work who suggested clipping my hair back to two inches so it would make going bald less traumatic. She came to my hospital room and began buzzing. The snappy do lasted about two days. And one morning in the shower, I washed in horror as water washed off shampoo and clumps of hair gathered around my feet. I looked in the mirror, and all I saw were stray wisps here and there and a shiny scalp. I was undeniably, irrefutably bald, and there wasn't a thing I could do about it. Well, almost nothing, as she goes on to say. She wrote, we can trust God, because no matter what happens to us, God, the creator and ruler of the universe, the one who made the great creatures of the deep and flung stars all over the heavens, he is in control. He controls the tides, the oceans, and the wind, in the trees. He controls tiny little birds that ride the colors of the dawn. Nothing, she says, not probing fingers, nor painful needle stabs, not interminable waiting for results, not the surgery, not the pathology report, not the naming of the dreaded word cancer can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, the risen Lord. That is an Easter attitude. Because of who Christ is, 
And because of what he's done for us, we can take heart because Jesus Christ has overcome the world. And that victory can be ours through faith in him. Now, I don't know what sort of circumstances you walk through these doors facing in your life. And I don't know what sort of attitude you're carrying around today. You could be going through something difficult. You could feel defeated or discouraged, negative, feeling like you always get the short straw. But it's my prayer for you that that you'll leave with a dose of Easter attitude, an attitude of peace and courage and joy in the face of whatever is in your life. Because Jesus said, take heart. I have overcome the world. You know, when we gather here on, on Easter Sunday, we, we don't do it because we think it's a powerful meta-narrative, uh, a, a beautiful uh, myth or legend that inspires us and encourages us, you know, themes of rebirth and redemption and so on and so forth. We do this because we really believe it's an historical event, that it actually happened. That Jesus Christ is alive and risen and that we can know him through his spirit and we can talk to him through prayer. We can know him through his word. He can help us and guide us and transform us. And he can give us peace and courage to take heart no matter what happens. But we must first take that step of faith. We must first trust in Christ and in Christ alone. I'm going to stop speaking now because I want to give a few minutes to a woman from our church, Stephanie Carlin. She's going to come and share her story about coming to faith and putting her trust in the risen Jesus Christ. Good morning and happy Easter. Perhaps like many of you, I grew up attending church every Sunday. And on special occasions and holidays like today, my loving family would say grace at the dinner table. I even attended private grade school, and so I felt like I knew Jesus. When I got to college, I began struggling with a sense of longing. But longing for what? To begin my adult life, graduate, get married, begin my career, own a business, have a family, live happily ever after. I was confident, just as I had planned, all of these things would fall into place. But even as I daydreamed of having this beautiful life, I still felt like there was something more, something bigger. In an attempt at trying to discover my purpose in life, I began journaling. And for the past 25 years, I have collected a handful of journals, all of which are filled with mostly blank pages. You see, I would start a new year off strong, and if I was really focused on my journaling, I'd get my thoughts and prayers captured for a few consecutive days, maybe a couple weeks at best. But then the demands of this world would take precedent, and I would stick my journal in a drawer until the following new year, and I'd start that failed process all over again. Year after year, the longing, the searching for something more continued, but I wasn't finding any answers. Then about six or seven years ago, I was introduced to the truth that I could have a personal relationship with Christ, that he desires that connection with each and every one of us, 
It wasn't until I was introduced to God's word that I slowly began realizing that I had been looking to myself for answers. Answers I clearly did not have. It actually took a group of third graders to help me really get started on my spiritual faith journey and building that relationship with Christ. You see, it was about four years ago when we signed our son Cooper up to join a youth group called Breakout. Marcia, the children's ministry director, asked if my husband and I would like to be one of the breakout leaders, and our initial reaction was to politely decline, as working parents with three active boys, our lives were busy enough. Besides, I didn't know the first thing about leading a Bible study, especially for impressionable young children. Although I had been given a Bible for my first communion, I thought of it as more of a symbolic book that I never learned how to study from. I sure didn't feel comfortable leading these kids down a path of Bible study that I myself had not yet gone down. But with Marcia's persistence and guidance and many prayers, we made the decision to embark on this journey with our son. And I am so thankful for God that he led us to that decision. With each and every lesson the last four years, I have learned right along with those kids in our class. I have been humbled by their grace and understanding when they asked the tough questions and I didn't know the answers. But together, we found the answers in the Word of God. As I think back about how I was longing for something, I've come to realize it was to have that close relationship with Jesus Christ. Even after 20 years of searching, God knew it wasn't too late for me to start with the basics and to begin my journey right along with those third graders. About a year after I was introduced to God's Word through studying and teaching those Bible lessons to our youth group, I began to feel God encouraging me to go deeper. But again, I wasn't sure how. Then a friend encouraged me to join a women's Bible study focused on the importance of studying God's Word purely with Scripture. Much like the feelings I had when agreeing to teach that group of third graders, I was unsure and intimidated by the Bible and embarrassed about unveiling my lack of biblical knowledge to this group of women. But once again, I felt God encouraging me to let down my guard and to trust in him. I started that women's Bible study diving into the book of Romans. A verse we focused on was Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The more I learned about God's unhindered love for us, the more I shared with the group about my upbringing, my misperceptions about the church, the Bible, and God our Father. I discovered that the religion that I had been practicing my whole life was focused on what we can do for God. And true Christianity is focused on what God has done for us. It was March 18th of just last year, and Pastor West was leading the service. Like many times before, the pastor invited anyone who was ready to accept Christ into their hearts to meet in the hallway so that they may be prayed over. I was immediately filled with emotion, and I told my husband, Mike, that I was ready to accept Christ. I have accepted Christ into my heart, but I am still learning to accept myself and others through the gift of God's grace. For reasons I don't fully understand, receiving God's grace has been the most difficult part of my spiritual journey. My heart is with God, but sometimes my mind falls back to its old ways of thinking. 
It's been a challenge for me to surrender as my whole life. I have worked hard and have fought to accomplish many things, things I thought I accomplished on my own. Throughout my faith journey, I still find myself slipping back into those selfish ways and feelings of hurt, frustration, anger, and sadness begin to creep in. I find this particularly true when I get too busy and let the demands of this world interfere with my daily routine of studying God's word early in the morning. Yet it has become crystal clear to me that when I start to put myself, my family, and even others above God, I slip into a season of darkness and life becomes a bit overwhelming as I try to deal with it on my own. Right now, right after I made that decision to accept Christ into my heart, I began listening to Christian music. I enjoy the songs and and I've learned about God's word by hearing the various talk show programs. Through one of those programs, I heard the story of Nicodemus, and it resonated with me. Nicodemus had a wise and inquiring mind. He grew disturbed and confused by the words that Jesus was preaching and needed to clarify certain truths that applied to his life and his circumstances. Nicodemus would not rest until he found the truth. He wanted badly to understand and sense that Jesus had the answer. When Nicodemus found Jesus, the Lord recognized his pressing need. Jesus, the living word, ministered to Nicodemus, a hurting and confused individual with great compassion and dignity. After Nicodemus became a follower of Christ, his life was changed forever. I have learned, like Nicodemus, that some of us may seem wise and successful, but no career, relationship, degree, salary, or status can meet our deepest need for love like Jesus, the gift of God's love to the world. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. That's from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. On Easter Sunday, Christ was raised from the dead. For me and for you, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. My prayer for all of us is that we turn to God to set ourselves free from the past. Be transformed by the renewing of our mind, for everything can be new in him again. May we all yearn for something more in him and with open arms like Jesus has to welcome the people into the kingdom of God. We too welcome the free gift of God's grace and his mercy and trust God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. My transformation has been a gradual process with significant emotional ups and downs. But I know that the more I continue to grow in the knowledge of Christ, and my relationship with Jesus continues to deepen, I too will be completely transformed. Thank you, Stephanie. She did that three times this morning, so thank you for that. We really appreciate that. I'm going to uh, close with a prayer and... um, If you'd like to make a decision to ask Christ to be Lord of your life, I just want to encourage you to 
kind of say along in your mind the prayer that I'm going to pray. And then we're going to close with a song and then you can go on and have a wonderful Easter. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for Easter. Thank you that you died on the cross for my sins. Thank you that you are risen from the dead and here through your spirit. I need your help, your forgiveness. I need your power in my life. I trust in you and I believe that you are who you say you are, the Son of God. I believe that you're here now, that you want a relationship with me. So Jesus, I reach out to you and ask you to come into my life, to guide me and to direct me, to change me, to give me new life, to give me peace and hope and joy and love. I thank you, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.